Welcome to This is Type 1, real-life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. I'm Colleen Mitchell, and I've had type 1 diabetes for 23 years. By day, I'm a process analyst in the power industry, and by night, I'm an author, blogger, and virtual assistant. I'm passionate about type 1 diabetes education and showing others that this disease doesn't define me. I'm Jesse Tuggy, and I've had type 1 for 7 years. I love hiking and painting, and I'm looking forward to working as an engineer after college. My diagnosis has inspired me to take control of my future and learn everything I can about it. Each week on the show, we'll talk about real life with type 1 diabetes, bring on cool people with connections to type 1, and above all, encourage you to understand that this disease doesn't have to hold you back. This isn't medical advice. This is life with type 1. Welcome to episode 13 of This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. Today, we're talking about bad habits to avoid as a type 1 diabetic. Some of them, okay, a lot of them we both have, although I can only speak for myself. Jesse is still on hiatus, so it's just me again this week. For my win of the week, I want to report that this week my blood sugars have been really well behaved. I only dropped below 60 once and only had to deal with one obnoxious high. I'm actually still quite astonished that my A1C is 5.8% when I still have some annoying swings into the highs and the lows. I'm gearing up for a business trip, though, so yet again, I'll be further tweaking my air travel protocol and hopefully land on the other side without going high during the flight. For more tips on air travel with type 1 diabetes, check out episode 11. The diabetes hack this week. Are you a sucker? What I mean by that is, after you test your blood sugar, do you suck on your finger to clean the blood off? Well, please consider using a tissue. Please. Especially when you poke and get a fountain of blood out. I mean, do you really like the taste of blood that much? Seriously, are y'all vampires? Using tissues is not a hassle. You have a Kleenex readily available to blow your nose if you need to, and if you're not keen on using a tissue, I I will admit that I wipe it off in my meter case if there are no tissues nearby. But I personally find sucking the blood off your finger a little cringeworthy, so maybe consider not doing that. Alright, so this episode is on the bad habits type 1 diabetics all have, and I'll own up to a lot of them. Probably most of them. I have 24 years of building and operating under habits to manage my care, and guaranteed, all diabetics do some of these things, if not all. I'm going to run through them and explain why it's a bad habit and what we should do instead. The first one is stacking insulin. Stacking insulin is when you give progressive boluses or injections on top of each other because it seems like the first one isn't working fast enough. I do this way more often than I should because I've noticed that my blood sugar takes longer to bring down, requires more insulin, the higher it is. It's kind of a a cluster in that way. Why it's a bad habit. So it's a bad habit because when all that insulin kicks in, your number will drop a lot more than originally intended. Your glycogen stores will deplete and you'll end up in a cycle of highs and lows for several hours. What you should do instead. Ideally, you should basal test and fine tune your bolus ratios so that you don't often experience extended high blood sugars, but we can't control all the factors. If like me, you discover that it takes more insulin when you're above a certain number to bring it down, give a larger correction first, stay hydrated, and monitor your blood sugar. Additionally, going on a walk naturally helps the insulin activate faster. I'll often take a post-lunch walk if I notice my blood sugar rising without paying attention to the insulin I've given for it. Next is never changing the lancet. The lancet is the small needle stick that goes inside a finger poker. This is what we use to draw blood to test blood sugar on the meter. Every diabetic will tell you that they don't regularly change their lancets. It ends up being one of those quote-unquote change it when you change the clock type things. It's a bad habit because over time, the needle's dulled against the skin, and it becomes harder to draw blood on a dull lancet. It probably also means that the needle is less sanitary. Manufacturers recommend changing the lancet after every prick, but I don't know of any diabetics who actually do that. 
So what you should do instead is set up a reminder or a habit to regularly change out your Lancet. For those of us on the Dexcom G6 sensor, which we don't actually have to calibrate, you can probably get away with changing Lancets once a month, such as on the first or the last day of the month. Since I only check maybe five or six times during a sensor session, and the sensor sessions last 10 days or more, it's probably a good frequency. The next one is not rotating your sights. Most diabetics have preferred locations for infusion sites and sensors. Infusion sites must change out every three days, the range is really two to four, and sensors can last anywhere from six to 14 days. Medtronic Guardian sensors last six days, Dexcom G4 and G5 sensors last seven days, G6 sensors last 10 days, and Freestyle Libre sensors last 14 days. Restarting may or may not be an option for any of these. It's a bad habit because site rotation is important to avoid the buildup of scar tissue. Scar tissue is not something you want to dismiss because once it forms, it doesn't go away. Some of the nurses at Panther Camp have told us stories about patients with such bad buildup of scar tissue that the skin is actually hard enough for needles to bend against it. Obviously, as diabetics, we're kind of reliant on needles, whether they're in the infusion site, a syringe, or the sensor injection device. What you should do instead is rotate your sites. Appropriate locations for infusion sites include the abdomen, butt, or the buttocks, thigh, and upper arms. FDA-approved sites for sensors are on the abdomen, but many diabetics, including myself, use the upper arms with no issue. The next bad habit is forgetting to give insulin. Every diabetic has forgotten to give insulin at some point. We get caught up in hunger, circumstances, or don't pay attention to what we're doing. It's a bad habit because forgetting to give insulin means that your blood sugar will be high later, and any blood sugars over 140 are damaging to the body. When you end up with blood sugars that are higher than you expected because you forgot to inject or bolus, it's super frustrating, and then you have to deal with the high instead of doing whatever else you were doing. Use your preferred habit-building method to give insulin before you eat. Diabetes educators teach that you should bolus 15 minutes before eating, but that's not always feasible. Ask your friends and family to keep you accountable. Soon you'll be so annoyed by people asking if you've given insulin that you'll automatically do it before eating. We'll link to a habit-building post in the show notes for you. Another bad habit is overriding the suggested boluses, which actually means you're giving too much insulin. On insulin pumps, you program your carb ratios so that the pump can do all the insulin calculations for you. Overriding the suggested bolus means you're not trusting the pump to do the math correctly. I'll admit to overriding a lot of the time. Sometimes I end up giving too much insulin, which means I'm chasing a low with Smarties. It's a bad habit because when you override to give more, you're conditioning yourself not to trust the pump. Giving yourself too much insulin feeds a cycle of lows and highs that also puts you at risk for weight gain. What you should do instead is test your carb ratios and your correction factors. If the math in the pump is correct, then you won't need to override the suggestions. Of course, you should not blindly trust the pump either. In general, avoid overriding suggested boluses, but if the suggestion would drive you too low or not affect a high, proceed with caution. The next bad habit is thinking that, quote unquote, this carb doesn't count. This is a habit I usually see when it comes to foods that don't have obvious carbs or has an equal amount of fiber canceling out the carbs. This includes vegetables like carrots, onions, peppers, and spaghetti squash. It also includes some sugar alcohols like malitol, which is a sugar substitute that unfortunately acts just like sugar, and your body can't tell the difference. It's a bad habit because ignoring certain carbs is basically like forgetting to give insulin. You'll end up with a higher blood sugar that you don't expect, and then you'll be forced to deal with it. So carefully count all the carbs going into your body. Always include malitol in your counts. Other sugar alcohols, specifically erythritol, don't affect me in particular, but you should always do your own experimentation to find out what works and what doesn't. I personally can't handle a lot of those protein bars with high sugar alcohol and fiber content. 
And speaking of fiber, the next bad habit is always subtracting fiber. Growing up, I learned that it's okay for diabetics to subtract fiber from carbs if there are five or more grams of it. In theory, this is a good practice because it means you don't have to give as much insulin, since the fiber, in theory, doesn't count towards your blood sugar. In practice, it may not work as well. Depending on the food, fiber may or may not affect your glucose. It's especially a bad habit if you're subtracting fiber even when it's less than 5 grams. What you should do instead is avoid subtracting fiber less than 5 grams, and be wary of foods with very high amounts of fiber, such as low-carb tortillas. I'm so carb-sensitive that one of those tortillas with like 8 net grams of carbs will send my blood sugar skyrocketing. There's something like 15 grams of fiber that I absolutely react to. The next bad habit is not basal testing or sensitivity testing. Over time, your basal rates will change. Similarly, your sensitivity to both carbohydrates and insulin might end up different. Basal testing is when you fast for a day or a specific period of time about five hours after eating something in order to test how well your basal rate keeps your blood sugar in range. Sensitivity testing lets you measure how carbs affect you, which is useful for low corrections, and how much insulin you need to bring a high down. It's a bad habit because if you don't do basal testing or sensitivity testing, you're essentially flying blind. Even if you have a CGM, you don't know how much 30 grams of carb will raise your blood sugar, or you don't know how much insulin will cover that rise, and you won't know how much insulin to give to counteract it. So what you should do instead is basal test first. Once you know how your blood sugars and basals work when you're not under the influence of food, it's easier to test how you react to different foods. I know from my sensitivity testing that I need to give insulin for the whey or casein protein powder in my keto chow. Another bad habit is leaving supplies and backups behind. And this has been a fail of the week for Jesse a few times already. I'm guilty of it too. It's a bad habit because you never know when you might need some supplies, be they syringes and a vial of insulin, a complete set change, or a sensor change. Or maybe your meter kit only has one test strip left. I've done that one more times than I'd like to admit. You don't want to be far away from home without the means to care for your diabetes. My biggest fail in this department was flying across the country for a week and not checking my meter charge or bringing the charging cord with me. My sensor replacement almost failed, and because I didn't fully trust the readings I needed to test, and my meter battery was critically low. What you should do instead is create backup kits for multiple uses in multiple areas. In every bag, purse, or backpack, have a stash of low snacks. Make up site change and sensor change kits for work, travel, or school. Keep a change kit in your main bag too. Another big bad habit when it comes to diabetes is expecting two identical days to give the same effect on your blood sugar. It seems logical to assume that two identical days would give you identical blood sugars, but that's not the case. According to Diatribe, there are 42 different factors affecting glucose. We'll link to those in the show notes. The truth is that no two days are alike, and we need to treat every day as a new one when it comes to diabetes. Taking each day as it comes is a better strategy than trying to game long-term diabetes. It's a bad habit because expecting the same results for two different days assumes that everything is exactly the same, when it's not, and it never will be. Maybe you got 15 fewer minutes of deep sleep, and now you're paying for it with your blood sugars. Even temperature affects it. What you should do instead is treat every day individually. Don't worry about what tomorrow is going to look like when you're still in the middle of today. Another bad habit is keeping it a secret. Jesse and I know diabetics who resist or refuse to tell their friends, elders, and superiors about their diabetes. I know a girl who didn't tell any of her college roommates or professors that she has it. I can't fathom why she did this or how she managed to get through college keeping it a secret. It's a super bad habit because if something happens to you and nobody around you knows about your diabetes, they can't help you in the best possible way. So what you should do instead is tell people. You don't have to be weird about it. Millions of people have type 1 diabetes, 
And it doesn't mean that there's anything fundamentally wrong with us as people. We just don't naturally produce insulin. I have a whiteboard at work and I wrote, I have type 1 diabetes on it on my first day. It's a great way to passively let people know to keep a closer eye on me and react appropriately if something is wrong. Plus, it also sparks conversations in the hallway. Another bad habit is letting it control you instead of you controlling it. This is just another way of saying that you're always in reactionary mode. If you're always reacting to blood sugars, you're at the mercy of your diabetes. It controls what you do, when you do things, how long you can do things, and how you feel about everything in life. Letting it control you means that you blame it for all the bad things in your life, especially when it comes to your health. It's a bad habit because you're making yourself a victim to your diabetes. It holds you back from the things you truly want in life instead of being a source of empowerment. What you should do instead is make a mindset shift. When you realize that you are the only one who can control your diabetes, the progress you'll make will be astounding. Learning how to properly control your diabetes opens up your life to a whole lot of other positive changes. You'll feel more comfortable and confident when pursuing the things that you originally blamed your diabetes for preventing. The next bad habit is listening to giants like the ADA and the JDRF about food guidelines. In episode 9, we talked about how the ADA and the JDRF are hardly the authorities on food for diabetics that they want you to think. The JDRF is still advocating for high-carb diets. It's a bad habit because listening to big-name authorities like these without doing your own research is putting you at the mercy of 50-plus years of inaccurate and outdated dietary information that has done nothing but make the diabetes epidemic worse, especially for type 2 diabetics. Dr. Richard Bernstein, a doctor in his 80s, was diagnosed with type 1 at age 12 and dealt with massive complications into his 40s because of what he was eating, as recommended by his doctors and the big names in diabetes. After he switched to low-carb, or his own version of it, all his complications reversed, and he's still a practicing medical doctor specializing in diabetes. You can find out more in his book, The Diabetes Solution, which we'll link to in the show notes. What you should do instead is do your own research about food and what to eat as a type 1 diabetic. Experiment with different diets. If Whole30 works better for you than keto, go for it. If paleo is a better option than vegetarianism, all the more power to you. Just find out what works for you and your blood sugars instead of blindly following the advice of entities that don't know you or your personal needs. This next bad habit is a big one right now. Rationing insulin. In the United States, uninsured and underinsured type 1 diabetics are rationing insulin in order to save money because insulin is so expensive. It's a bad habit because you could die. Literally. Many people have. It's being called the death sentence at 26 when adults are forced off their parents' insurance and unable to afford insurance on a healthcare exchange, or they don't have a job with employer-provided insurance. What you should do instead is join type 1 diabetic online communities and region-specific Facebook groups. Diabetics help diabetics. Look into insulin assistance programs with Eli Lilly and Diatribe. We'll link to Diatribe's resource on getting insulin in the show notes. It's comprehensive and extremely helpful. And a natural way to reduce the amount of insulin you use is to go low carb. Because carbs are what drives a lot of insulin use, going low carb can cut your insulin intake by half or more. I went from using 60 plus units a day to around 30 units. You can also look into getting the older insulins from Walmart. They're unusable in insulin pumps, but going back on MDI, which is multiple daily injections, is better than rationing. Another bad habit is not fighting non-medical switching. We talked about non-medical switching in episode 7 when we discussed insurance, but here's a quick recap. Non-medical switching is when an insurance company forces a change in a drug or medical device based on their negotiations with those providers. For me, this looked like going from Humalog insulin to Novolog. For some diabetics, it means being forced off a preferred pump onto a pump that doesn't fit that person's lifestyle. Not fighting this is a bad habit because going with the flow of non-medical switching introduces massive changes to your care regimen, often for the worse. 
If the new thing doesn't work as well, then you can't get back on the old one. What you should do instead is get into the habit of staying on top of what your insurance covers, and when something changes, question it. Work with your doctor to fight the changes. I had to test Humalog and Epidra insulins against Novolog when insurance wanted to force me back onto Humalog. With my doctor's help, I was able to stay on Novolog, which ended up working way better for me. Another bad habit is procrastinating your sensor calibrations. So this is one of Jesse's additions. I've definitely ignored the calibration alert on my Dexcom when I was still on the G5, and it required calibrations every 12 hours. It's a bad habit because you won't get a reading from your sensor. Your blood sugar will rise. On Dexcom G4 and G5 sensors, if you don't calibrate, the receiver will repeatedly alarm and may even cut out from showing blood sugars. And if it doesn't cut out, you can't trust the readings because they're not calibrated. So what you should do instead is just check your blood sugar. I know sometimes it's inconvenient, like when you're driving or it's the middle of the night, but it's better to know what your blood sugar is than let the sensor show inaccurate readings. Another bad habit is overcorrection for low blood sugars. It's super easy to eat the kitchen when correcting a low blood sugar, but it's a really bad idea. Hormones are the reason we feel this way, and logic just goes right out the window, especially when waking up in the middle of the night with a low and immediately wanting to eat all the things. It's a bad habit because your blood sugars will get more out of control the more you overcorrect. When you spike from all those correction carbs, you'll want to bolus or inject to bring the number back down, and then you'll immediately go too low. This is you riding that roller coaster. What you should do instead is, if you've properly done your sensitivity testing, then when you're low, you'll know how many carbs to eat to bring you out of the low without going overboard. Then, just wait. It's important to remember that your sensor readings are between 5 and 15 minutes behind your real-time number, so your glucose might not immediately rise on the sensor. And if your low snacks aren't working, you might just need to change them up. Jessie had to switch between low snacks for years before she found that regular fruit snacks work the best for her. The next bad habit is overcorrecting for high blood sugars after a meal. Not all sensors are FDA approved to use as a treatment indicator. This means that for most sensors, you should still check your blood sugar with your meter before giving any kind of correction with the pump. Overcorrecting for a high blood sugar after a meal is a bad habit because you'll go low, solely based on a sensor reading when that sensor reading might be wrong, or your active insulin hasn't affected the blood sugar yet, then you'd be stacking insulin, which is the first bad habit we covered in this episode. What you should do instead is check against your meter if you're on a sensor not approved for medical corrections and be patient with your blood sugar. The insulin needs time to kick in before your blood sugar goes down. It takes insulin 15 minutes to start working, peaks in one to two hours, and is done in three to five hours. This is the active or onboard insulin metric on your insulin pump. Another bad habit is rage bolusing. Ah, rage bolusing. This is probably my worst bad habit. This is when I get so mad at my high blood sugars for either being high or just not coming down as fast as I want them to, so I bolus far more than I should based on my emotions at the time and not on logic. This is a really bad habit because it's just another version of giving too much insulin or stacking insulin for a high blood sugar. Bolusing out of rage just triggers that roller coaster of lows and highs and takes a toll on your brain and your body. What you should do instead is trust the math in your pump. If you have reason to believe your pump is not working effectively, you can try giving an injection and rubbing the injection site to help stimulate the absorption, or just go on a walk. Learn how to manage your emotions and recognize when you're in that place of frustration and rage, but divert it somewhere productive instead of compromising your blood sugars. And lastly, a bad habit from Adam Brown of Diatribe in his book Bright Spots and Landmines. Do not use hypoglycemia as a justification to eat junk. Period. It's enjoyable and easy to view a low as treat time, but I always regret doing this. Plus, it connects a food reward or a treat with something I want to avoid, going low. 
an easy way to build a bad habit. Remember, if you have any questions for us, please leave us a comment or an email. And now we're on to our diabetes in the news segment. There is a new metric available to monitor your blood sugar called time in range. This is a complementary metric to the A1C, which measures average blood sugar over the past three months. The problem with A1C is that two people can have the same A1C, but one has a lot of lows and a lot of highs, maybe 50% in range, while the other doesn't have very many lows and is 80% in range. Your time and range comes from wearing a CGM. This is a quote from Stat News. This is expressed as a percentage of the time an individual's blood sugar is within the target values. This metric, recently endorsed by the American Diabetes Association and by an international consensus committee, correlates nicely with control of diabetes and the implied development of complications such as vision loss, kidney problems, and low blood sugar excursions. Greater time and range has been linked to more stable glucose control, which should lead to fewer complications. And now it's time for a question for the audience. What are your bad habits when it comes to your type 1 diabetes? Do you have some more that we missed here that you'd like us to cover in a future episode? And what about some good habits? Maybe we'll do a future episode on all the good habits you should have as a type 1 diabetic. Let us know in the show notes comments or send us an email. And that is it for this episode of This is Type 1. You can find the show notes at inspiredforward.com episode 13. And if you have an idea for an upcoming episode, please leave us a comment or send an email. You can get straight to our podcast page by going to thisistype1.com. Our music is by Joseph McDade, and our audio wizard is my husband, Tim. I'm on all social media as at Inspired Forward, and our email is colleen at inspiredforward.com. Jesse is on Instagram as at jj underscore crystal kat. Please still feel free to send her questions or comments that you have about type 1 diabetes or about the show. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends, and please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, since that helps other people find us. And be sure to listen in next week where we talk about how to manage long-term control. Remember, you control your diabetes. It doesn't control you. Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com community. I can't wait to see you there.